Hello, welcome to another edition of the Detour Live. It's a special edition because it's Father's Day across Australia. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Big shout out to my old man Emu and my father-in-law Jack. I uh, hope you guys had a great day. And happy Father's Day to you too, John. hope you had a good day as well, mate. Thank you, mate. Yes, with my four children. And uh, they all uh, rang me and sent me Zoom calls today, which was beautiful. And uh, I've also got 12 grandkids, so it's like grandfather's day too i guess and it's also my daughter's birthday today so lisa um and, and uh, did Kay say it's bloody father's day every day no uh, i no. went uh, lisa said another birthday you're not going to be because i wasn't there when she was born i was right at the games <laughs> olympics and another father's another uh, birthday you're not going to get to but anyway We'll move on from that. <laughs> exactly. Um, another another big day at the Tour de France. Um, you've still got the yellow balloons up in the background. We haven't popped those yet. Uh, Yatesy did a great job to hang on in the end. Um, and we did say on this show we, we were worried about Pogacar. Thought he was going to do something, and, and that's exactly what happened, mate. Yes, and Whitey was, uh, he was speak, said he was spot on. He wanted the break to go away and take all the you know, valuable bonus seconds, which exactly how it worked out. An amazing day, though. A really interesting race in two parts. And uh, what were the big uh, standouts for you, Johnny? Because Alaphilippe lost time. Um, obviously, Pino, um, he was the big French hope, um, and he's gone right off the ball. What, what do you think happened there? I thought... Uh, Pino was a potential winner. I had him uh, uh, third on the podium, and I, I don't know. He just had a bad day. But uh, it was very early. There were a lot of you know, sort of mediocre bike riders still there who were never going to figure in this bike race. And I was still there when Pino was slipping out the back and on the uh, uh, not on the climb, the last climb, the middle climb. So very disappointing for him. But a few, a, a few surprising. Um, Alaphilippe. I mean, he attacked up on the Parasite right at the, when the crunch was going. They were going. I mean, the, the, the pace was on. Tom de Moulin was setting a really quick pace. And then um, old Julian Alphilippe has gone bang up the side and then self-destructed and lost 18 minutes. Yeah, but you think about today's stage, the fact that he has lost 18 minutes means that he can get in the break and go up the road because he's no threat to the jersey. If he gets in that breakaway, he'll pipe the guys in the sprint, you'd think, depending on who he's with. But um, do you think that was a, a tactic of his or do you reckon he just oh, blew? No way. No way. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he'll do exactly that today. He'll try and get up the road. He'll be angry as. And he's such a fantastic bike rider. He, he, he'll recover quickly. He'll try and get up the road. They'll, if he wants to get in the brake, they'll let him get into it because they lost 18 minutes. So he's not a threat at all. And he was it would become a chance. But uh, no, no, he was... Uh, there's no way he planned that. You could see, actually, I, see the explosion. No, I, I know, like, he didn't plan to explode, but I'm saying once he explode to really put the brakes on to lose that amount of time, like, he probably could have, you know, lost two or three minutes. But the fact that he's really dropped off the, the boiler, I mean, that's all so that he could get up the up the road today, yeah? Oh, maybe, maybe a little bit. Maybe didn't chase too hard, but I, I think he would have been terribly disappointed. Uh, yep. He was hoping to, uh, to to get back into the yellow, but that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. All right. Well, we're joined, as always, by Sports Director Matt White. Whitey, congratulations. Another day in yellow, mate. Uh, there was a few little tense moments there, but uh, Yatesy seemed to take it all in his stride. 
Yeah, look, we uh, we 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 knew that uh, they were going to throw the kitchen sink at us on the pure sword, and uh, not too many people had the. It's uh, all right, mate. He's he's got an excuse. He's in Poe, and he's at the start, and it's um you know a lot of crowds there. You you're back, mate. Yep. 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 So they threw the kitchen sink at you, and uh, you survived. Yeah, we did. We did enough. We did. We, the, the most important phase for us uh, in yesterday's race and today will be controlling who makes the breakaway. Once we've got mm. that under control, we get the right guys. We've got a couple of guys we want to block. A couple of teams we need to block as well. Then uh, a lot of the rest of the race will take care of itself. And then, uh, you know, depending on what we need to do there in the final, Esteban will be there till pretty late for uh, for Adam. But again. The last climb of the day to that, the Murray Blanc is a very, very tough climb. And there's, it's yesterday was descending all the way to the line, whereas today it, it's a, it's a hard, hard descent. As in, there's ramps you have to, to pedal down to get. Uh, it's not as fast as yesterday, and there'll be bigger gaps today with the GC guys from the top of the last climb to the finish. Now, Whitey, we we caught up with David Miller yesterday, and we asked him, you know, how did you handle pressure, and if you've got any advice advice for Adam Yates, and he had some really good insights. I want to play a little snippet of what he said yesterday. And you know what you need is a good entourage around you um, to kind of calm you. And in Matt White, uh, Adam has the best. I think, honestly, is the best in the sport. Uh, kind of managing an athlete, an elite athlete. He's he kind of gets inside the head. And he understands and he's different with every rider and he's able to read their their needs and and make sure they've got creates a bubble around them. So for Adam at the moment, he's got with him in Matt White an insanely good kind of what in other sports would be a coach uh, who's who will have created a bubble around him. And I think for Adam, I think he'll be okay. Pretty big raps. Now that's I, one I, thing. I did tell Dan not to play all of that. I said you'll never get him. You'll never get fit through the, the door in the bus after that. But anyway, no, but but it's one thing to get praise. Now I watched the backstage pass from yesterday, and I think uh, what Miller said was bang on the money because on TV when Yatesy dropped off the back, I mean we're all freaking out and losing our minds. But it's amazing to see how calm you were in the actual moment. I want to play a snippet from yesterday's backstage. All good, Adam. That's his podger card, just a little bit off the front of your group. He is no danger for us. 128 is his deficit in the general classification. Roglic and Quintana then putting some pressure on the race leader, Adam Yates. That's good, Adam. Just find your rhythm there. Good stuff. Big attack from Nairo Quintana. That's good, Adam. That's good. They've slowed again. Just take your rhythm here. And Adam's just got across. Marde is 13 seconds down on the classification. Marde went and Rodzik was, or a yellow jersey was going after him. Yates now has got to respond. Bardet crosses the line now, and he's going to be at 6.36. And Adam Yates is at 6.39 or 40. Good stuff, Adam. Good stuff, mate. Now, what advice do you have to everyone listening and watching? How do you remain calm in what is normally a stressful situation? Oh, there's, there's, 
getting stressed. And look, I, I, I'm a, probably a little bit different than I was uh, 13 years ago when I sort of started this job. But uh, you've got to realise that, yes, you've got to, like, like David Miller says, some people need need tension, need pressure. Uh, Adam doesn't work that way. Uh, so staying calm with him is uh, is a is a big benefit. And at the end of the day, I know what condition he's in. Uh, me getting stressed or me getting anxious on the radio, then it, it's not a positive effect on him. And I, I can only control so much. You know, there's there's parts of the race where you can control a lot from the car, but on a climb, when it's the guys are at threshold, they're doing their best. The best thing is to stay calm, give them factual information, give them some positive feedback. And at the end of the day, they're the ones who've got to get up that climb. Uh, and and just informing them of, of key information that they may not have picked up. But uh, look, I, I've, this is not my first trip to the rodeo. Um, we've uh, over the last couple of years, we've you know, led the Giro for many, many times, many times, won some big races, and uh, and I would hope that I have improved and, and bettered my skills over the, over the last ten years. Got a question, Ify? Yeah, I have, mate. Were you surprised uh, uh, with, uh, firstly, Pino uh, blowing up like like he did and riders like uh, uh, Bookman, uh, even uh, Mollema uh, later on, that they lost time? Uh, with uh, Pino, obviously the crash that he had on the first day has hurt him more than he, they were letting on. Bookman I'm not surprised with either because he had a bad crash on the last stage of the Dolphin A the same one that put Stefan Kruzvik out of the race. So there was question marks on Bookman coming into this race, even if he was going to start. So he's clearly not at his best. And then Mollema, look, Mollema is a great performer, but I really, he's not a a top, top GC guy. He's finished, he's one of those guys, he's just a grinder, he's a grafter, and he grafts his way to, you know, he'll finish seventh or eighth at six or seven minutes. Uh, he usually very rarely has bad days, but he's just always there and, and just plugs away for three weeks. And uh, so I'm, I'm not surprised. I, I don't see him as a guy who has any chance for the podium anyway. But uh, there's, a, no, there's, a, there's a lot of racing in the back end of this race. This is the last day in the Pyrenees before a rest day and some flatter days. But I, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to see some bigger gaps today on the final call. Hey, Whitey, we sort of made a pact not to talk about COVID early on in this podcast, but I can't help myself. There's a photo that's sort of lighting up at the moment, um, which is this one, and it, and it highlights a lot of the fans are not following the proper protocols with their masks. Is this something that um, is concerning the riders or, or it's not really mentioned at the moment? Oh, look, people are aware. Like, I, I would say, you know, 95% of people are wearing masks, which, which you know, the crowds that we've got, it's a pretty good percentage. And look, you'd have to be pretty unlucky to, to catch COVID off someone passing them for one second. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it has to be you know, air particle, infected particles from them going into your mouth or your, your hands. Like, now studies have shown you, you it, it, it's being around people over a consistent period of time is where you get the virus, not passing them for a second. You know, it, nothing, anything's possible. But yeah, look, we're, we're always going to have clowns who don't uh, obey the law. Uh, it, it's law in France uh, to wear a mask outside, and but you know the police here have got the, they're, they're flat out on crowd control. But our guys are just getting on the job. We, we're can controlling what we can control, and that's the hygiene and everything in our bubble. We knew coming here it was never going to be perfect, 
But uh, at the end of the day, it is what it is. And uh, we've got a very good protocol set up within the team. But even that, you know, we're, we're changing hotels and everything we normally do, but with a, a greater emphasis on, on sanitization. Uh, good stuff, mate. Yeah, I, I was surprised, not so much at the mask thing. I was actually surprised so many of them had the masks on. But I was surprised at just how the size of the crowd and how they were, you know, invading the riders' space like the good old days. I didn't think we'd see that so much in this tour. Yeah, I was hoping we didn't see it. Uh, but at the end of the day, today today's Sunday. We're close to the Spanish border. Uh, I would expect as bigger crowds, if not bigger today, then I would expect it to go quiet because school's come back. School's gone back in France. We're not in hugely populated areas, and our next big mountain stages are not till next weekend. So I would think today will be big crowds, and then I don't think we'll have the same problems for the next four or five days uh, of, of the tour. Now, um, Whitey, you've obviously had to do a little bit more work on the front than than what was prior expected. How how are the rest of the guys holding up after you know having a three or four solid days? Yeah, so good so far, mate. So good so far. Um, yeah, we didn't come in to expect a ride like this, but uh, it's not every year you get a chance to wear the yellow jersey and, uh, and keep it for a sustained period of time. So at the end of the day, uh, it's going to hurt a few. It's going to hurt a few, but uh, if we can keep that jersey one, if we can get through the jersey today, we might have it for another five or six days, which would be incredible. So all we can do is our best, And uh, but, you know, the most important I, – I, there's two phases that are going to be important today. One, that we get the break right. And two, you know, if Adam's good enough to follow the best today, then he'll probably be in yellow in, in uh, eight or nine hours' time. If he's not, well, then we're still going to be uh, we're still going to be close. But it's all in to keep that yellow jersey for one more day at least, mate. Good stuff, yeah, mate. Yeah, just looking at the race book, Whitey, I agree that if uh, if Adam can keep it today, you, you should keep it right through to Friday when the when the next big mountain challenge comes. And then they, they just keep coming for the last week. But uh, I, I don't think the guys have had to uh, – you, you've worked it really well. You know, I don't think they've been overly having to go into the red, uh, the, the team, the way that uh, – you know, you've you've done it early. The right breaks have gone away, and then the then the the other teams have, have stepped in at the right time. So it's actually worked pretty well for you, I thought. Yeah, look, it could have been a lot worse. I, I think the the day uh, the, the two days ago when we had that hundred hundred plus kilometer chase, that was a tough one because that was a very very strong break of eight, and uh, the big boys the big boys really emptied themselves on that day. Mm. But no, I, I agree. I think we we we've managed it well. But uh, yeah, it was it wasn't the plan. We, we plan we plan on racing a little bit differently. Uh, well, we plan on trying to win some stages, but uh, the yellow jersey's been a bonus that we just have to adapt to. <laughs> and what about today, mate? What what do you think is going to happen today? I know you say you want to get a, a, a good breakaway early. Do you think they're going to uh, allow you to let them get that much time? And do you reckon old Julian Alaphilippe might just jump into the break today? Yeah, I, I think he'll be in the break today. And we'll probably let him go down the road because the way I'm looking at with Alaphilippe is, uh, you know, regardless of the break he's in, look, we, we, we don't – 10 or 15 riders would be a max for us. But if Alaphilippe is in there, he's at 11 minutes now. He blew his cover last year for the you know, he, how good he is. I don't think he's going anything anything like the form he was in last year. But uh, he'll be. In, I, I would if, if you're betting, I would put him as one of the guys in the breakaway today. Uh, there, there's, a, I said, I'm not going to release, release who, but there's a list of guys who we don't want in the breakaway. And then uh, I'll be interested also to see what Jumbo do because they, 
I, I really think they're going to put pressure on, on the, the Mary Blanc because I don't see Bernal is in 100% form at the moment. And I think Rodzik would like to go into this rest day with a nice little buffer on on a couple of his rivals. Good stuff, Nate. Now, before we let you go, our guest today is one of the most chill dudes you've ever met, and that is Swaino. So I thought, I'd Swaino, you can say good day to Whitey, mate. Hey, hey Buck. Hey, Tati. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, good, mate. Good. We're no, just no, saying, no. Swaino, how, how chilled Whitey is in, in the team car. Um, you know, I, I think you probably would have got a lot of that from yourself back in the day. <laughs> well, he's, yeah, Whitey, well, I mean... Swain, Svano's Svano's been on the Svano's been on the other end. He's seen the uh, the quite wound up Whitey at times. Japana seems to ring a bell in 2012, maybe. Oh, that's right. Jeez, I should have I should have queued that up in one of the flashback videos. That was a, a absolute belter. But, yeah, but that, uh, that's just the passion coming through. That's what I've always loved about Whitey. You can see it yeah, right there. Exactly. Well, all the best, all the best today, Whitey. Um, we hope it's another day in yellow, and and you really get to enjoy a, a well-deserved rest day tomorrow, mate. It's been a full gas uh, nine stages. Will do. Thanks, guys. Yes, see you, Whitey. Mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks heaps. Now, without further ado, we've got a very special guest, uh, Swain Tooth, one of the most interesting guys, if he, I've ever met in my time, not just in cycling, <laughs> but in my entire life, because uh, Swaino. Uh, you've had an amazing journey in cycling, mate. Um, where where are you at the moment? I'm actually just in my garage in Andorra. I've been been relegated to the garage, so um, we are trying to sell our house at the moment. So if anyone wants to buy a house in Andorra, it's up for grabs. <laughs> and, yeah. and I can't, can't help but notice you've got old mate Mitch Docker's um, podcast T-shirt on, mate. Represent. Life <laughs> in the Peloton. <laughs> hey. Now, a lot of people saw bits and pieces of you on YouTube. They've seen you in um, All for One, but they probably don't know, you know, the real Swain Tuff story. Now, you weren't like don't most myself, riders. Mate. Still trying to figure that out. <laughs> you didn't follow the normal trajectory for young riders. Like, can you give viewers a bit of an insight into um, what it was like uh, growing up as Swaino in the, in the early days? Well... Yeah, to to really try and make that short, it, it had nothing to do with bike racing. And yeah, bike racing was really the last thing that uh, was on my mind. Um, I had a bit of a, like, uh, I had an awesome childhood. Um, my, my dad had us doing all kinds of stuff out in nature. And, and so that was kind of at the core of, of what I loved. And how biking came about was that... Um, I really got into mountain climbing and it was it was a form of transport for me and as as soon as i did some of my first trips i realized how awesome biking was and that just gave me this crazy bug that uh, sent me on uh, a couple of years of just traveling all over north america alaska um took my dog with me and and uh you know i was i was a high school dropout so essentially <laughs> My, at the time, I thought that was going to be my life, you know, like I was just like, this is awesome. I don't need anything more than what I got on my trailer there, which, yeah, that's that's a big trailer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was that was my life for for quite a long time. And I had no real direction. My my parents thought I was absolutely nuts. Um, and then, you know, eventually 
the idea of bike racing kind of caught my attention and it was actually thanks to my dad who uh he's norwegian and uh you know he grew up with european sports so he kind of saw that i had this you know as much as i was a bit of a hippie fun loving uh, hobo guy I still have this kind of crazy side that wanted to push myself all the time so yeah that that kind of took off and did one race and that was it and then it was just really just, re came around really quick just, just on those days when you're going on these long adventures with the dog and that were there any real dangerous moments that it was sort of life or death ah uh, that's all perspective i think you know like uh everyone everyone's view on that kind of stuff is different i was lucky i had a lot of experience in, in my short years so um but you know there's always the the risk when you're up in the north country in canada of, of black bears and grizzly bears and and this and that so what and in those days i mean that's that's going 20 20 some odd years back i mean it was far more wild even then you know like it's still very wild country but uh I remember a certain highway called uh, Cassiar Highway. It goes, instead of the Alaska Highway, which goes way around, it goes right through central BC. And uh, that goes so, through some incredible territory. And back in those days, it was all gravel. So that was real gravel torn um, back, back in the day. And there was, I remember in the springtime, there would be black bears. You could probably count 100 in a day that you would just ride by, like within 20 feet you know wow. what you had there was in the springtime all the fresh grass was coming up and right along next to the road so you just became accustomed to seeing bears and and also realizing they're no real threat to you like as long as you don't harass them they're cool and uh but you know i i did have an, a certain night up on uh the alaska highway out in the middle of friggin nowhere kind of on the yukon british columbia border and uh there was a wolf that came into uh, the camp. I was, I was in a bivy sack, which is just like a little Gore-Tex bag. And my dog was just growling, you know, like really annoying because sometimes they just growl at nothing. And sometimes there it's something for real. <laughs> and that, that night it was really something. And, and it was just a lone wolf. I think he was pretty sick. And uh, in that part of the world, the wolves are really big. And it was, you know, still it's, they call it the land of the midnight sun at that time of the year. Um, so you still have a bit of uh, daylight so you can still see everything. And, uh, you know, that's probably the closest I came was my dog and this wolf getting into a tussle. And uh, I, <laughs> I had a hockey stick with me that uh, worked as, as, as a kickstand to kind of prop up the, the bike. So I kind of got involved in the mix there and was bashing the, the wolf a bit. Um, and he, he pissed off after there was two of us, hanging up <laughs> you know, it was, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't the worst thing, but that's about as, as crazy as it got, I think. Um, yeah. Now, now I was just thinking if he, for, for people that are living on Mars and don't know who we're talking to, like Swain had a professional career for well, over 10 years and wore the leader's jersey in the Giro, he was stage winner at the Tour de France, he was there in 2013. Um, is an amazing cycling career, um, but as we said at the start, like he, he doesn't follow the the traditional uh, route that you get in, in most cyclists. If he and I remember Swain, you were telling me this amazing story about when you dodged the avalanche when you when you stayed in it. There was a big snow and 
um, you thought, oh, I've just got to get out of here, man, and, and you're pretty close. Well, <laughs> I've had a few, few of those run-ins with the avalanches. That's just part of when you spend some time in the BC backcountry where I, where I grew up, it's just par for the course. Like uh, here in the Pyrenees where I, where I live now is it's not so much avalanche action, but there in, in British Columbia, it, it snows a meter pretty much every night. So the odds of uh, running into an avalanche are, are very high. And, and yeah, I had a winter camp there. Well, I used to spend the winters up in uh, the backcountry, and I'd build these uh, shelters out of uh, outfitters' tents, had a wood stove and all that stuff. But I, it was the winter of 97, and uh, in that part of the world, the Pacific Northwest, it was just renowned as having one of the, the craziest snowpacks ever. Every night, I was basically – I spent my entire time just shoveling. I was trying to keep my camp from being, you know, crushed by this snow every night. And uh, I actually mentally snapped. I was up there like a month and it just didn't relent. It was snowing every night and I went crazy, man. I, I packed up anything that was value and I, uh, I had to go down this kind of chute to get off where I was because it was this primo area for backcountry snowboarding. Um, so I had like, you know, basically a hundred pounds in my pack and I was on maybe a good two or three feet, feet of uh, fresh, dry snow. And I couldn't even move. I was so heavy and the snow was so deep that even on this like steep uh, vertical drop, I, I couldn't even get the snowboard moving, you know, and it was a struggle to get out of there. But um, I started quite a few avalanches in that, in that shoot, just trying to get out of there. And it was actually, <laughs> that was kind of the scenario that was helping me was getting that snow moving along with me and just kind of sloughing down this, this mountain. But uh, yeah, I've had my run-ins with avalanches and um, can't say it's, it's the most pleasant experience because the worst ones are the ones that uh, sneak on you. Like you, you don't, you actually don't think you're in a bad area or in, in a place that it would happen. And all of a sudden the snow just, it's like, it just gives away underneath you. And it actually, it feels like it just turns into water. Like you've just fallen into water. Um, so yeah, I would say it's, it's not a super fun experience. Svein, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to yeah. ask, Svein, how did you get from, from all of that? You were riding a, a bike with a, with a, trolley on the back and all that and you said your dad pushed you towards cycling but how old were you uh when you first started racing so my first race was in um this the summer of 99 so that's uh that's 21 years ago that's so i would have been uh, 22 and from there like i said it, it uh it caught me pretty much like full on and i remember my dad and i because the the good races were all down south in uh california and you know oregon and and um arizona and these kind of places and and we took the little pickup truck with a canopy on the back and we basically just went on like this massive camping trip with the bike and we we drove down we were just like entering any race there was we kind of you know we had the calendar of all these these uh, states and I would just go and it was a really fun time. It was actually, uh, you know, because there's that weird period as a teenager where you're just, uh, you know, you're not so close with your parents. You figure, you know, everything and, and you're, yeah, you're just not getting along super well. And then, and then um, this was a trip where me and my dad really got back together and got to spend a lot of great time on the road, just 
doing actually living like how I, I was loving to live at that time. So, um, yeah, it, it was just like, once it caught, we just didn't stop. And, and because I had like a, it was because I had that foundation of all that touring, you know, behind me that I was able to transition really quickly and, and go through the ranks. And I think that was really addictive as well to be able to move right up to the higher categories and race against like the best guys from the, the regions, you know? Uh, and that, that happened really quickly. So that, that became a, yeah, a really exciting thing for us. When, when was the moment when you thought, geez, I can actually make a career out of this. I'm actually, I think I've got what it takes to, to become a pro. <laughs> well, I have a pretty funny story because even before, like I had any real experience, I was working at this shit job. Uh, at, it was like at a wire rope and chain factory. And basically my job was taking uh, galvanized cable from the, it was from these big, uh, you know, when they tie up the big log booms, they, mm. once, once they've kind of busted through all that stuff, it's just scrap, but there's a lot of usable material in there. And my job was all day just sitting with this cutoff saw, cutting chunks. And then like, as soon as I had a bunch of chunks together, I'd, I'd aluminum press with the swage presser together. And that was all I did like all day long. And I remember like, just because I showed up on time, for this job and actually showed some hustle. These guys were like, Whoa, this guy's amazing. You know, like <laughs> all of a sudden they were like, you know, trying to move me up and they're like, what do you want to do with your life? I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be a bike racer. And they're just like, what, what are you talking about? You know, I was basing it off of nothing. I'd seen the average speeds of um, some of the big bike races, you know, in, in uh, the newspaper. And I was like, Oh, I can do that. <laughs> so that was that was my knowledge of bike racing that's how much of a, a dumbass i was um and you know uh it wasn't until i would say for real was maybe in 2001 i'd won like i'd had a pretty big year but i'd i'd won a, a race in both um which in canada that's one of our hardest uh you know, our hardest stage races. And there's a bunch of European teams there and, and that. And I won the final, like, really hard stage of that. And that was when I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, you can do this, I think. You know, I think you can do this at a pretty good level. And, uh, yeah, but it, it was just funny because I just, I don't know. It's when I talk to young guys now, they're always asking me, how do you make it? In my mind, there was just no question. Like, there was just no there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to make it. So it's, I don't know. It's something about that mindset I think can be pretty powerful, but I think you probably have to be a bit stubborn like I was. Um, <laughs> just, to, just to jump in there for one second, Svano. Yeah. <laughs> the two of the both, I can remember taking a Jayco team uh, oh, there. Yeah. In, in, oh, gee, I okay, about uh, 94, 93 or 94, uh, and uh, Scotty McGrory and all those guys. Fantastic bike race and a, a, a lot of uh, high-class riders there. So I know the race well. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really tough tough race, you know. It's in, in Quebec, and it kind of showcases a little bit of everything. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really good testing ground, and that's what kind of gave me that good indicator. And so where were you at professionally when just before you went to Green Edge? Were you ready for a change of scenery? And, and, and what led you to make that decision to, to come to the Aussie team? Well, it was a bit of a funny uh, trip there. Um, you know, I'd worked with Whitey previously on, on Garmin. 
And that year, some like in 2010, I had one of my best years in Europe. And it was one of those typical deals with Jonathan Waters where he can, can't seem to reply by mail or whatever. So like I was happy to, to keep riding with that team. But at the time, there was that whole Pegasus debacle, if you, if you remember. Oh, yeah. Through. Yeah. And these guys were throwing around all kinds of cash to all kinds of great riders. Uh, that, that's as good as money, sir. That's an IOU. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No infrastructure. I mean, I learned a lot in that time because I realized these guys actually had nothing. They were just talking. Um, and I have a ton of stories actually about that, but that would take forever. Um, but uh, when that team failed in December, we got basically the email and like just before Christmas. Um, Spider Tech, uh, a team from Canada, Pro Conti team, uh, run by Steve Bauer, was bailed me out and actually had a great year in 2011. But during that whole process in 2011, I was speaking with Whitey about the the Green Edge product project, and I knew in my mind that um, I wanted to be back in the World Tour. I wanted to be with a with a team with guys that I knew, like that I trusted, and. Uh, you know, Spider Tech was a fantastic uh, opportunity for me and a great place. But I, I just knew that at that point in my life, I wasn't going to get the opportunity to just jump back into the world tour and have that that run that I ended up having. So for me, it was it was a hard decision because I was leading leaving my Canadian friends, but uh, it was for sure the right decision. Well, we might as well jump straight into 2013 because obviously the Tour de France is on. Um, people are all excited about the lap around France, but I want to talk obviously about um, that 2013 tour. So going into it, the bus has crashed. Um, we've had Gero on and, and we've had Imps and that. Did you feel that there was a lot of pressure after that sort of balls up that you're like, oh man, we, we better do something or, or we're just going to be a bit of a laughing stock? Uh, look, man, the whole experience to me was, was absolutely crazy. You know, like, um, I'd done some grand tours up to that point, but the tour was just that next level as, as I know you guys can attest to. Um, so I was just in, in, uh, kind of in La La Land. I was just kind of, ah, I, I, for me, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty introverted guy and it was almost too much for me that race. I mean, it was just too much going on. I couldn't focus on something. You know, I wasn't worried about how we, we came off. I was I was really just cared about the performance I could give for the team. And that was really my number one concern. And then making it, obviously, to uh, the Champs. Because, you know, when I, was, I was 36 years old in my first tour. And I was like, I might not ever get the chance to do this again. So I'm going to bust my ass for the team. But I also really want to make sure I'm there at the finish. <laughs> mm. well, and, but if, you did do a great, you were a, a crucial part of that team time trial, which got the, uh, the first yellow Jersey. I mean, that was a very, very special performance. Well, well, before you jump in, if yesterday, I forgot to load videos in, but I've got a, a whole <laughs> smorgasbord tonight, Swaino, and we've got a segment called Roads? Detour. We're going, we don't need roads. So it's a no-brainer, mate. We've got to we've got to play a bit of the backstage pass from the stage four awesome. team time trial where you went to the front and ripped it an absolute new one. Welcome to backstage pass. 
stage four Tour de France team's time trial. So we've got a good chance of uh, hopefully getting into the yellow jersey, but uh, it's the competition as well. Everyone don't, Ken. Everyone don't. Guys, we're three seconds off the fastest time. Very good. This is where it's going to be one into this headwind. And sprint it in, guys. Sprint it in. Let's go all the way. Everyone's on. Let's go all the way, all the way. Fastest time. <laughs> Guys, we are the fastest time by under one second. Man, to, to pull it off, I still feel like I'm in a dream, actually. It's kind of surreal, and uh, man, uh, the team is just unreal. Slater, what what were those emotions like being on the on the podium there with with all your mates? Oh man, yeah, just watching that is crazy. I, like for me, I get such a kick out of watching, you know, uh, Whitey and Stevo just going crazy in the car, and and um, yeah, it gives me goosebumps actually. Um, what a memory! But uh, yeah, I think you know, just as a side note, Jonesy, what you did for for all of us in in that time was was so massive for us to have this record of of our time because i don't think a lot of guys have that you know and and you built these these great these awesome clips of of uh this awesome team and uh man i feel so fortunate to to have that and be able to share that with my son but Mate, the mate, the privilege was all mine. I, I got like a, a front row pass to some of the most incredible memories for myself. Um, and you know, going through some of the old backstages today, you know, I still get goosebumps as well. And it just gives me so much joy. And we keep saying, if we are in the middle of a bloody pandemic, like we need these videos more than ever um, because there was such good memories. And and one of those, let's skip to twenty fourteen. Ify, you were there, Belfast, team time trial. Um, here's a snippet uh, from that backstage from, from the opening time trial. Yeah, look, we, the reason we wanted the reason we wanted Svein to, to wear the jersey is because it's sort of in our team, our team DNA that you know what comes around goes around. And uh, Svein has been part of all of our time, team's time trial victories since we started. So I thought it was only fitting that, that Svein has the jersey for if maybe a day. But uh, it'll like like we saw with Daryl Impey last year that changes their life forever, and it's it's a really nice feeling and really nice emotions from all of us to see Spain don that jersey, and uh, it's a very very special moment for him. And and yeah, he's not going to get too many more opportunities to wear the leaders' jersey in the second biggest race in the world. So maybe tomorrow's the day, and it's a very nice uh, gift for him. It's a very certainly a well deserved one. Oh, it's truly surreal, and I still I can't even believe that it happened. I, I still I don't think that will sink in until a couple days go by because for me it's just been like a, a la la land the last five six hours. I just it's like we just switched into a whole other <laughs> time zone and and uh, yeah just went through a portal of craziness that I never would have expected in my in my career. So um, yeah. To, to ride with this team and have all those guys selflessly, you know, give that. That was a gift to me and, and uh, something I never expected in my career to to end up in that position. And, and uh, yeah, what a fantastic bunch of guys that uh, 
Uh, I just can't thank them enough. Um, what what were you take me through? What were you thinking, Swain, when when Whitey said, "I want Swain to to cross the line first uh, before the start of that that stage." Ah, uh, you know, like Whitey always had that crazy confidence, and I would just always be shaking my head, like, "Mate, we like let's not get ahead of ourselves here. We're like up against BMC Sky, you know, Quick Step. I mean, the best bloody teams in the world, and I'm not." saying don't be confident don't uh, have faith in what we can do but let's not just talk about we've got this thing won but he was always so good at that and always you know he had that that belief in us and it was crazy to hear that in in the in the meeting because in my mind i know the effort we have before us i know how crazy it is and you know something about the team time trial that's really different compared to an individual effort is that it's not just you, you know, like your mistake can, can, you know, bugger up the whole team. And it's like that for me was always so much more pressure. And I, I really, I mean, I think that's what's so beautiful, beautiful about it as well. But yeah, I, I, I was just like, okay, I almost didn't want to hear him. I was just like, <laughs> no, mate, mm. let's just stick to our plan. What, you know, how we're going to race this thing, the, the fastest, you know, not uh, talk about, who's going to come over the front first. Let's just be the fastest team. That's all I was thinking about. And and if you I, I, were there, mate. I, I was, and it was an exciting time. And I remember doing a lap of the course in the car with Whitey, like in the hours before, and he was – you know, I had a little bit pen of paper writing everything down the corner. This corner, there was that uh, sort of a brick hill up to to a a, a big uh, uh, a castle, which is this is the, this is the spot where we're going to win this. He had he had it all planned out, which he then uh, took the boys all through. And for those who don't know, often with the Grand Tour, you'll have an individual prologue start. Sometimes no prologue. This was a team time trial prologue, and the first across the line and in, in the winning team gets to wear the pink jersey. So the guys had it all planned out. Um, now that Giro, that was probably the funnest race I've ever been on, more for the back end because it finished with two guys. Like obviously there was crashes and people were getting sick and you crashed yourself. But um, we get to the end of the race and there's two guys left. So here's a snippet of the backstage where we, we run through all the benefits of just having two guys left. We're down to two, which uh, makes life a little bit interesting for the meetings, that's for sure, and some other aspects which uh, Chance is going to show you about. Look how much room we got on the bus now. We save a lot of water. The shower times is much quicker. We have two bikes for the surface. Last to cleaning the bus. Well, it's a lot easier to uh, just visit one room and see them both in one shot. Happy birthday to you! We also get to eat with a staff. Pretty cordial. Race food. I actually like eating the riders' race food. Now there's lots more left over. Um, how much fun was that last bit of the, oh, of the Giro? I was just laughing there because uh, I think we were doing that. Uh, every staff member had a birthday for every night of every place. <laughs> That's right. The vino was flowing, the cake was coming, and uh, Happy and I, I don't think we ever drank more red wine in our, well, 
We drank a lot of red wine. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously we wanted to do something special for the seven guys that uh, couldn't be there on the last day. And I, I don't reckon anyone would have a hope in hell of pulling this stunt <laughs> off again. So we, we, we saddled we saddled up and I thought, oh, well, I'll go to the Giro sign-on with you boys and we'll just wing it and we'll film it. But I didn't um, bank on – it was a 10K ride to the start up birds. <laughs> At about 30%. And obviously don't know how to ride a bike, but uh, here's the footage of when we finally broke through and, and went to the sign off. That's a typical zero sign in. We're here, mate. We're here. Right past. Probably could have edited that clip, probably ran a bit long then. But um, now, if he one story that you reminded me of the Savo, um, you got a call from Jerry and he knew that Swain was coming on. And he's what did he say to you? What what did we have to mention? You can't remember, um, can you? Yeah, I can. He had, he said that that um, Buckley, the Collingwood coach, is a, a disciple of uh, uh, Nathan Buckley is a disciple of Swain. Yep. So. A lot of people would not know this story, but what happened was the Collingwood Football Club in 2017 watched All for One. And Nathan Buckley, the coach of the team, he was – people were calling for his head. They wanted him sacked, you know, oh, he's got to go. So he was on the ropes and they, they went and watched this film and I think it had an effect on him. And there's one particular scene where Swaino's uh, words of wisdom really popped off the screen and this is the scene from All for One.
come from tribal people, being in groups and communities. And I think a lot of us are still searching for being part of a group that does something special. So Nathan Buckley sees that they go to the uh, off-season and then the first time that the Collingwood group come together for 2018, he addresses the group and this is this is what he has to, to tell them. Uh, and the thing that I've realised is in my uh, existence is I've given, I've cared too much about what other people think at times. And I reckon sometimes we can fall into that. I don't know. I know I do. If you don't, well then that's great individually but as a as a club i don't give a f about the other 17 clubs i really don't because if we do what we do and we come together and we play our game style and we impose that and then we go and execute it and you each can play a really important will each play a really important role in that staff players admin everyone everyone in the environment will play an important part in that coaches have got an idea on how we're going to coach it but you guys are going to have got to go and do it and feel it and then be able to execute it and then be able to answer around the, the challenges that are going to be thrown at it. But I'm looking forward to that. Not everyone would have seen this, this uh, quote, but it was definitely part of the Green Edge uh, doco that we watched towards the end of last year. And this comment was from one of their old heads. He was the guy that packed up all his worldly belongings, put it on a put on a, tra a trailer on the back of his bike and then just drove around, ride around Europe for six months, just searching for meaning, looking for where he belonged. Pretty um, brave thing to do. But he's obviously got some perspective, this bloke. But the two things that stick out of there for me is connectedness and we want to be a part of something special. Pretty, pretty strong <laughs> stuff there. Um, the fact that... Um, you know, you're other sides of the world and you've had an impact like you have, Swaino. And, and that year, Collingwood went on to, well, they sh if you're a Collingwood man, they should have won the grand final. And the day of the game, I remember sending you over in Europe, Swaino, I said, oh, you know, uh, you, you should send a video message for Nathan Buckley and uh, you sent a little video um, cheerio to him. And this was the, the Herald Sun, the day of the grand final. And it was all about the Zen warrior and, and what effect your words had on um, Buckley. Um, it, it must feel pretty special, Swaino, that um, you know, you, your views on life can, can have an impact like that. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's always a bit surprising because you don't real, realize it at the time. You're just sometimes rambling or, or just you're, you're in a moment that you don't realize will have an impact. But uh, that's a big reason why I think, like, be careful with your words, you know, like, kind of run that governor every now and then and just make sure you aren't just rambling on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so what, what, when we're sort of wrapping things up, um, what, what are the things, Swaino, you think builds like really good culture uh, in a team or in an office, wherever? Well, that's a, that's a big question. But um, <clears throat> yeah, for me, it's, it's like you need, you need a figurehead who has a really good feel for people and really understands like the qualities that you need for the kind of thing that you're doing, but also building a place where people feel like when they commit to that group, they're going to feel special. They're going to feel part of something. And I think that's the biggest trick because when I look at other teams, when I look at other groups, 
a lot of the times there's this fear that if they sacrifice for others, they're just going to be left in the end hold with nothing, you know? And I think that's the worst mentality to go through life with. That's, that's a fear-based mentality and no one ever does anything good when it, when it's a fear-based idea. And so I think it all comes from your, your, your leaders and that all that in cycling, that can mean from your directors, but also from your road captains, your, your guys who've been around for forever. They need to kind of instill that, that um, communication with the younger guys like, Hey, you do your job. We're all going to like, we're going to be there for high fives at the end. And, and we're going to make sure you, you have a job next year and you're one of the, the guys, you know, and that's really important to start at a young age because cycling is a very insecure job. Um, and I think it, it's already hard enough. You don't want to add any more of these stressors to your, to your life. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to uh, add anything, Yuffie? No, nah, Svein, you've said it all, mate, as you always do. Great to catch up with you, pal. Fantastic. La- last you, one for me, Sweno. Um, people that have followed your journey, what what are the key things people can take from your story, mate? Well, I think uh, a big one is to just never listen to the usual structure of things. Like, you know, for example, in cycling, most guys are telling you if you aren't pro by 21 or, you know, like in the top ranks at that point, forget about it, you know, um, for me, there's just no right template. It's It all has to do with up here, what you believe, and uh, you cannot let others hold you back or their opinions or their whatever. It's like if you if you have that dream, if you have that belief in yourself, you have to just keep trucking. And like that's all it is, man. It, like one of the things about anything that we achieve is like people want this instant gratification. They want things now. But in the end, you have to just look at a, a super long path and I think of like cycling for myself, it was, man, it was still almost 10. Yeah. I would say it was 10 years before it started even paying me anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by that, I mean like in like success in a, in a life that was somewhat sustainable. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, it's like everything that's great on this, this planet that you do as a human, it it's, takes time and you just have to love it so much that, none of the pitfalls and the hurdles are going to be an issue for you. It's just something you, you tackle and then, Oh, well, I just keep moving on. You know? Uh, good stuff, mate. It's been absolutely riveting. Um, now future plans for you, mate. I think you, you mentioned you, you're heading back to Canada. Yeah. Yeah. We're, um, packing up shop here in Ottawa and, uh, moving back. I mean, it was always part of the plan. But with all the recent events, uh, we just feel like it's best to get back to family and, and really yeah. make the most of that time as we've been away for, for so long now. Yeah. Well, we wish you all the best with uh, future endeavours, mate. And I can't wait for the day when this bloody COVID pisses off and, and we can cross <laughs> paths again. I said to you on WhatsApp, it'll be like that last scene of Shawshank Redemption when <laughs> you'll be out sanding the boat. I'll be Morgan Freeman with the jacket on my arm. But um, really looking forward to it, mate. And I'm sure that the viewers and listeners will, will get something out of your story, definitely, because it's it's absolutely riveting. So appreciate great. your time, buddy. Yeah, great to see you guys. Yeah, see you soon. Good on you, mate. Take care. Cheers. <laughs> How good was that, Ify? 
Uh, bloody sensational, mate. What a, what a legend of a man. You, you can't, every time you catch up, even though it's only been on, uh, on video, you catch up with him, you just feel like going out and doing something, you know? He's amazing. Yeah, um, and as you see, like it had widespread effect uh, on Collingwood Footy Club. He should have mentioned defence in his quote because if he had have got his defence right for the Pies, they, they could have won the grand final, oh, mate. Don't go there. I'm already – you take me back there. Now, now we've got to sponsors. The sponsors, exactly. Sponsors. Come on, Lexus, <laughs> Lexus of Blackburn. Uh, oh, the wonderful more to... family. Oh, now we weren't going to show that again, but I'm glad you did oh, that's because the last time Jer- Jerry's been copying heaps from his mate Mark about why you're wearing sandals, and and it says here, uh, Jerry said they're not they're Paul Smith sandals, and he's and Mark said we'll give them back to Paul because they don't suit you. So well, I'm tipping they wouldn't be five dollar <laughs> flip flops. Like they, they'd be quality. Uh, well, Mark- Michelin. Yeah, Mitchelton, yes, Mitchelton Winery, the beautiful Mitchelton Hotel on the Goulburn River. As soon as the uh, lockdown uh, um, stops being locked down, which evidently going to be a few more weeks now, but head straight to uh, the Mitchelton Hotel for a wonderful uh, break. And, of course, let's go. Let's go, yes. Andrew uh, has got uh, us locked in. Uh, We're offering 90 days early bird special. Jump on the website. Sensational. Yep. And let's have a quick word from our mates at Bike Exchange. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns and rides. Now, we were getting people just smashing us with comments saying, who does if you like? Give us the tips. And this is when you were interviewing Swain. So we weren't going to cut him off and say, hey, Swain, we've got to cut this off. People <laughs> need if he's tips. Um, but who do you like on stage number nine, Oracle? Because there's pressure well, look, now. I, I do believe the break will go. I know Mitchelton and Scott will be very happy to see it uh, get an, a big enough gap so that they stay away. And even though I think he's a short price favourite, I really think Julian Alaphilippe will be the man to take the money today. Yep, I uh, I think that's that's bang on as well. I think he's going to get in the break and he's going to pipe him on the last climb, uh, rip the D, and it'll be all over. So yeah, he's short, but Pogacar as well. Um, if you're going on. Uh, yesterday's stage. Um, no, no, no. Uh, the, the, the climb, it, it's a very tough day, but the climb, uh, it's like 30-something kilometres from, from the top of the climb. I don't think the GC riders uh, will um, play as big a role as yesterday. Okay. So it's all chips for Philippe. And fingers crossed, obviously, that Yatesy can uh, hold on to the jersey. And we said if we were going to be out just before 8.30 because everyone should be flicking over to SBS now for the live coverage. Yeah, it starts uh, early tonight. does start early. But uh, I've got to put a proviso in here. This, this is a really big climb today. It's really steep. And uh, I think Jumbo will put the pressure on uh, early to see if they can uh, get rid of Banal, see if they can put him under any pressure. Well, this, if this, he, is the, this is the profile. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So those early climbs, I don't think will be. It's that last uh, um, um, cap, cap one, one. with yep. time bonuses on the top. They'll have a go at that, and uh, if uh, the break's not a clear, then it'll be a different story. We'll have an amazing bike race. Now, can we mention tomorrow's episode, John? 
who we've got lined up, or we're we wow. going to keep it a surprise. No, look, let's let's just get it out there. We're going to have one of the great uh, debates. This is going to be huge. Huge. It's going to be huge. We have Cadell Evans, Stuart O'Grady, and Andy Schleck. The three of them are going to come on, and they'll talk about the race and all that, but they're going to really tell us the behind-the-scenes story of that 2011 Tour de France. I, I hope it all goes to plan, but as we know with this show, We've always had dramas with internet. Now, I'm just crossing fingers. I'm crossing toes that um, there's not going to be any of those issues. Now, spread the word for tomorrow's show because if it all comes together, you can ask questions live. So you can ask Cadell Evans, Andy Schleck, Stewie, questions live. Um, That's facebook.com forward slash Detour Pod and search the Detour Podcast in YouTube. Iffy, it's just past 8.30, so it's time to tune into SBS for the coverage and uh, good luck to all the guys, and and hopefully it's another day in yellow for Yatesy, which he could hold for another five days. So it should be interesting. See you all tomorrow for a monster show. See you.